When you think about Pierre Polyev and all the things that were heard and, you know, we've been told about Pierre Polyev, um, he's been described in a lot of different ways. And depending on how you view the world politically, um, he can be the savior, exactly what's needed, or he can be seen as the exact opposite, the last thing that we need. Even within the Conservative Party, he has been portrayed both ways, right? Some people say he is exactly what that party needs to regain a position as government of Canada. Others say, no, 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 he's a source of further division and his policies will make it that much harder to win the next election. So, you know, there's not unity in terms of how he's viewed. But our next guest says that everyone needs to rethink this. He thinks that Pierre Polyev is not at all divisive. In fact... Just the opposite. We're going to chat with Ted Morton, a professor emeritus and an executive fellow at the School of Public Policy at the University of Calgary, and of course, a former minister of energy and minister of finance in the government of Alberta. Uh, Mr. Morton, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate your time. Good morning, Shay. Glad to be with you. Yeah, an interesting piece that you uh, you wrote for the National Post, um, and, and we'll talk policy in a second. But first of all, just as a human being, you contend that Pierre Polyev is checking a lot of the boxes he has a lot in common with well all canadians right well, i tried to check about a half a dozen boxes <laughs> that uh the divisions that typically uh fragment canadians vote in federal elections and pierre in his life not just in what he says but the way he's lived his life he bridges them the east west gap the french english gap the quebec alberta gap the young younger canadian older canadian and perhaps most important maybe native native born versus immigrant his wife uh, anita is a uh, amazing story of her own and her family immigrating from venezuela i think the kids speak uh, spanish french and english already so it's a uh, it's a uh, it's a story that uh, we haven't seen for a long time and i think will appeal to a lot of canadians and it bridges all those divisions do you think Canadians are familiar with that about Pierre Polyev? Do they do a good enough job making sure that people know, like you say, he does cross a lot of those boundaries that we typically put up in Canadian politics? Not yet, but he has a couple of years to get that message out. And uh, I think the more people see him, the more he travels and speaks, uh, uh, the more people will see that and uh, his, his popularity will grow. Again, uh, when he was first elected, the all the experts, the usual pundits, said that he would never be Justin Trudeau. And in the latest, in the latest uh, Nanos poll, he's already pulled a couple points ahead of him. I think the more Canadians get to know Pierre and his wife, uh, uh, the more popular they'll become. Uh, help me understand how he bridges the gap between Alberta and Ottawa, which we know has gotten wider and wider and wider and become a, a more of a sore spot. Um, he's got ties to Alberta, he's got ties to Ottawa. Is that is, is it that simple? I mean, how does he bridge that gap? I think if you listen closely to what he says about Quebec, he says he says to Quebecers, we know you don't want a government in Ottawa that pokes its nose into your business all the time. He talks about federalism as a form of freedom because it gives more power to provinces, more more power for provinces to govern themselves. You know, elect people, be governed by people that come from their own neighborhoods and, and report back to them. That message plays just as well in Alberta, Saskatchewan, and BC, I think, as it does in Quebec. So I think I think that's the key that we've had uh, a decade now of a liberal government that uh, has the view that Ottawa knows best, and uh, you know we're here from the federal government to help solve your problems. Uh, that's not popular in Quebec. It's not popular uh, in, in Western Canada either. Mm-hmm. So I think that's. That's the key. Federalism is a form of freedom. Federalism is a form of diversity. Uh, all the Canadian provinces are very different. 
and that's reflected in, in the different governments they elect at the provincial level. Does that change, though, if he becomes, quote-unquote, Ottawa? If he wins and he becomes government, does the position he has, has to take? I mean, you know, now he's government. Now he's what he's been railing against. Can he continue to walk that line? Well, uh, he certainly has good connections uh, in Alberta to Danielle Smith, uh, the now premier of Alberta. He, he seems to have good connections in, 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 uh, in uh, Quebec. Uh, the premier of Saskatchewan in the last uh, six weeks sounds uh, <laughs> more interested in uh, less Ottawa, more Saskatchewan than even Albertans do. So I think there are a lot of premiers out there that are willing to work with him and with the majority conservative government, he can do that. And uh, again, unlike any of the more recent leaders of the federal conservative party, he won the leadership by, I think over 60% yeah. of the votes. He, he, he has, he has unity in his national party. If he leads in that direction, I'm confident his caucus and the supporters will follow. What about messaging and just sort of the impression that he gives Canadians? I mean, when you take a look at Trudeau, I think there's some Trudeau fatigue setting in, and a lot of people, we talk a lot about woke politics taking over the Liberals. Um, in terms of the way he positions Canada and, and the national image that he has of this country, um, how would that be uniting or dividing, if it were? On on both those counts, I think it, it's it's uniting. Uh, there is fatigue with with Trudeau. Uh, Trudeau is comes from a. It's, this isn't his fault, but it's a fact. He comes from a very privileged background, and he's the leader of the Liberal Party of Canada and the Prime Minister in large part because of the family he was born into and those connections. You look at Pierre, the, the adopted son of an 18 year old uh, girl who put him up for adoption and. You know, delivered papers in a Calgary neighborhood as a as a teenager. He's had no privilege, and yet he is where he is. And as far as looking forward, he, uh, he you know, the, the the woke people and they seem to surround Trudeau, and Trudeau repeats their message: tell us what a terrible mess Canada is. We're we're racist. We're misogynistic. We're homophobic. We're colonialist. Uh, all these terrible things. Canada's not perfect. We have work to do on all those issues, but no other country is perfect either. And if you put Canada head-to-head with any other country in the world, it's arguably as good or better than any other place. And the proof of that is the hundreds of thousands of immigrants that keep coming here every year, year after year, for the past 30 years. Uh, They vote with their feet, and their vote is Canada is a good place. So Pierre is a forward-looking, he and his wife embody an optimism, message of optimism, hope, and forward-looking that has been, and confidence in Canada, proud to be Canadians, that has been lost with the woke messaging out of Trudeau and Ottawa. Um, what if Canada's changed uh, as we've gotten younger and our, our demographic is different? And, uh, I mean, you take a look at the last two civic elections in our province and some of the polling around the provincial government. When you talk about forward-looking, I think a lot of people, Mr. Morton, would say forward-looking is what you characterize as woke. That's why Dustin Trudeau does it. And why he's won three consecutive elections is because he's representing, um, quote-unquote, woke, forward-looking Canadians. You know, you're, you're right that, that those types of values, the so-called woke values of uh, what a terrible place Canada is and how much work we have to do, that is that is found a lot in younger Canadians. But, of course, where have they learned that? They've learned that in universities. 
universities have become the uh, the epicenter of the woke agenda. <laughs> I know that because that's where I spent the better part of my uh, my professional career. So there's that aspect of young people. You're right. But there's another aspect of young people, all of those people who don't go to universities, who are working hard, that are out there taking their chances, trying to build uh, <clears throat> build careers, families, neighborhoods, homes that uh, want a strong economy. And, and again, uh, since the Ukraine, uh, what happened in the Ukraine uh, in February, uh, this next decade potentially is the best decade Canada could ever have. Everything the world needs now, uh, energy, oil and gas, food, rare, man, rare earth minerals, Canada has all of those. And uh, this could be a very, the beginning of a very, very prosperous time for all Canadians with the right leadership. And that leadership, I think, is not Justin Trudeau and the Liberals. Um, just so I'm clear, you think people become woke by attending university and people who don't go to university don't adopt that worldview? That, that's, what ha- that's where it comes from? If you look at surveys, that's a very strong correlation. It's, it's an interesting reversal of historically university-educated people used to be more prosperous and therefore more small-c conservative when it came to issues like taxes and big government and so forth. But that's changed, uh, not just in Canada, but the United States and even in, uh, in Europe, that the most woke elements of each society are the people that have the most education. And uh, that's, again, look at, look at the, uh, you know, how does, how do you, how, why do Ontarians elect uh, conservative governments now? Uh, why do they? Well, because they want, they want, they want, they want economic growth. They want opportunity, particularly in the younger, younger Canadians. And, and, and Pierre speaks to this all the time. Uh, they want homes. They don't want to live in their parents' yeah. basements anymore. They want jobs. They want opportunity. They want a growing economy. They want what my generation, what the baby boomers, uh, enjoyed through the seventies, eighties. And not, well, we grew up with it in the fifties and sixties as kids. And then we, we had it. We enjoyed it as adults in the seventies, eighties and nineties. That's been lost, and uh, there's an opportunity now with the right leadership. Uh, again, I think the next decade or two could be some of the most prosperous in Canada with the right leadership and with somebody younger who communicates that mm-hmm. to, to Canadians. Uh, Mr. Morton, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, thank you. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.